Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My parents were divorced when I was a kid. When I was in elementary school, they shared custody 50-50, with one exception. Every Friday night and every Saturday morning, I was at my mom's house. And every Saturday morning, my mom and I shared one special ritual. We sat down together to watch Pee-wee's Playhouse. Pee-wee's Playhouse remains a singular achievement in kids' TV a kitschy pastiche of a thousand TV shows that went before it, but also more than that, a kaleidoscope of difference, a tribute to the big dreams and big feelings that go with being a kid, and also so funny. Seven years ago, I got the chance to talk with Paul Rubens, the creator and actor behind Pee Wee. It was a great conversation. You'll hear that in just a minute. More recently, I've had the opportunity to work with Paul. He's reviving Pee-wee Herman one more time, now on radio. The Pee-wee Herman Radio Hour is a collaboration between Paul, my company Maximum Fun, and KCRW, a public radio station here in L.A. It's Pee-wee Herman's chance to play DJ on one of the world's most famous music stations. We've got the Playhouse Gang there. It is so much fun. Uh, You can listen to it live on the radio Friday, November 26th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 89.9 on your FM dial in Southern California. It'll also be streaming at kcrw.com for a week after that. Get pumped. It rules. A highlight of my career. A highlight of my life. In the meantime, let's meet the man behind the bow tie. My interview with Paul Rubens. Paul, welcome to Bullseye. It's so great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. You spent your teenage years in Sarasota, Florida, which besides being like a, you know, a nice, you know, retirement community type place is also the off-season home of Wrinkling Brothers? It was at the time I I lived there. Yes. So was that like, part of your life as a kid and as a teenager that there was just circus stuff around yeah there was there was circus stuff everywhere there was circus stuff um my high school had a circus i think it's the only high school in the world with a a full circus program and uh kids that you would have classes with you know for all, all year long that you, you wouldn't have any idea that they would be these circus stars. And then you'd go to the Sailor Circus. That's the name of the, the Sarasota High School Circus, the Sailor Circus. And uh, you'd go to the circus and see like a girl that sat in front of you or a guy who sat off to the side and they'd, they'd be wearing tights and they'd, they'd climb a web and, uh, and do a, a full-on flying act or walk a tightrope. It, it was absolutely incredible. And... Uh, when we first moved to Florida, there were circus people everywhere. We were walking around our the block and the house we rented when we first moved there. 
And we, for weeks, had been hearing these explosions all day long and never knew what they were. And we walked by, my whole family was walking around the block one day and we heard the explosion and we saw a man shooting through the sky in between two houses. <laughs> and we, re- we, 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 we were later to find out it was the Zacchini family, and they were shooting each other out of cannons in the backyard. <laughs> we had heard that for a couple of months and didn't know what it was. My sister and I, our first Halloween, uh, rang a doorbell, and it was the Doll family from the circus, a, a whole family of little people. And um, they said, come in, come in. And we went in their house, and everything in their house was miniature and, and tiny, and it was a... It was a weird thing to see as a kid. I, I'd never seen a, a little person before. I didn't even know. I mean, I knew it was, I knew it was somebody who was the same size as me, but they were old. It was. It was a. You could walk down the street or go into a market in Sarasota and go, regular person, regular person, circus, regular person, circus. You could just tell, you know. And and so it was. A, it was an incredibly exciting place uh, at the time and a cool place to to grow up. You trained in the Groundlings in the 70s. And while you were training, um, one of the first big things that you did in show business was go on the gong show. And not just go on the gong show once, but go on the gong show a whole bunch of times. What was the first act that you brought to the gong show? Do you remember? Oh, absolutely. I um, I was on the gong show, I think, 15 times. And uh, you could go on the gong show... Uh, more than once if you were in a disguise like they you know it was a game show and it it wasn't rigged or anything but they did allow some people like there were there was sort of a small stable of comedian uh, people who I mean I I partially was supported by Chuck Barris and the gong show for a couple of years and uh, the first I'd gone to Boston University for a year before I went to California Institute of the Arts a few of the people from Boston University I kept in touch with when I moved to California. And then there was kind of a trickle of those people. They, they all moved to California. Most of them, a lot of them, you know, if you're an actor and you get out of college, out of acting school, you're pretty much moving to New York or Los Angeles. So half the people moved to Los Angeles and the other half stayed, uh, went to New York. And uh, I got a call from a girl that I knew very well, one of my friends in Boston. And she said, one of uh, my best friends who came in the year after you just moved to California and she wanted to get your number. So I gave her my number and this girl called me and she said, I just was on the gong show and I joined the union and I, um, I almost won. And if I'd won, I would have made $500. And it was I think $238 to appear on the show, union scale wage. Uh, and she said, I want to do another act. And I was thinking maybe we could do some kind of a duo act. So her name was Charlotte McGinnis, and she and I uh, became a duo act called Betty and Eddie. And we wrote an act specifically for the gong show, and we went on and we did it, and we won. And I joined... Uh, AFTRA, the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. 
And that allowed me a year later to join the Screen Actors Guild. Um, it was a, a way in um, on something that was very difficult to do. A lot of people didn't have those opportunities. And, and uh, I made money. We won money. And then I got all kinds of uh, booby prizes. There were all kinds of uh, things that they would send you. And when the shows would rerun, they would send you a residual check and another prize so i would once in a while i'd get like uh one time i got a shrimp i got a sh uh, what was it it was some kind of cooker that came with a certificate for shrimp burgers <laughs> and i got a bowling ball um the groundlings the groundlings green room which didn't exist at a certain point but um one day we decided we were going to have a green room and we cleared a bunch of space or, uh, backstage to make it and then I had uh, two giant containers of green textured paint that I won on the gong show. And for, for many years, the uh, green room in the Groundlings was courtesy of the gong show. I, I want to play a clip of you on the gong show. And this is you in a doubles act with John Paragon, who ended up becoming one of your collaborators on the Pee Wee Herman show and on uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, he played Jombie and also Terry. Um, and I think co-wrote the Pee Wee Herman show with you, if I'm remembering correctly. And this doubles this doubles act is called Suave and Debonair. Let's take a listen. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Let us welcome, please, Suave and Debonair. Do it. Because we're such a groovy pair, we're really suave and debonair. across a puddle so you can cross it we'll cut our hair for you to look like they're above it we can make you laugh just like a hyena we cook our own caviar right down at the marina we're the kind of guys you'd like to take home to your mother when you try one of us you'll have to try the other watch the toes we'll give you I'll tell you what's really interesting to me about the relationship between Pee Wee Herman and Pee Wee's Playhouse and the gong show and some of the stuff that you did on the gong show. It's that it's this kind of 50s and 60s culture that, you know, in the 70s and 80s was often being sent up and what you're doing there and what you did with Pee Wee's Playhouse isn't really a send-up. It's it's more like a what, what if we did that thing that was so, so straight in its time and just bent it around the corner a little bit, like made it a, a tribute, but a really weird tribute. I, I mean, I wonder if that was your intent or something that you were aware of. No, you know what? I... I, I was with you right up until the very, very last thing you said. Like, I I never, like, I mean, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't try to like get into a debate with you about whether it's weird or not. Like I, I've certainly heard the word weird applied to both the show and me and lots of other uh, uses of that. But I, th- I never look at it like that. I, I never, we never tried to be, you know, a kid show, but, but weird, you know, it, it just, uh, it's funny. I was just talking to some people who have a lounge, a fake lounge act, and they were saying, you know, we're we're starting to become what we parodied, parodied, and I I had just seen their act, and I didn't feel like that at all. I, I feel feel like it's really about the commitment, you know. Like I, I always feel like I my commitment to Pee Wee Herman. I don't mean that the way it came out. I, I mean the way that the concentration and the commitment required to be that character and to sort of stay in that character just makes it real to me. I guess I I do agree. It was an homage in, in many ways. I mean, I, I loved all these, all these kid shows that influenced me and I tried to sort of mix ingredients from all of them into what I wound up doing. So it's kind of a throwback and it has lots of, of, homage sort of elements to it but i always considered it a full-on real kid show even though it had all this innuendo and adult humor in it we did the same show in matinees for kids so i always felt like i i took a lot of pride in being able to kind of figure out ways to do stuff that could be seen by kids and grown-ups and uh and two different audiences might might pull two different things out of it, but but it could be seen by the same group. I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, it seems like in order to be arch or to parody, you have to have a certain amount of remove from what you're doing. And it sounds like you wanted Pee Wee to something that, to be something that you could invest your whole you know your whole heart into. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because I I was. The hair on the back of my neck just stood up when you said that a little bit, although it's very short, Um, was just because I I don't, yeah, I never viewed it like that. I always viewed it as I, you know, I'm, I'm just in it, in the moment. And and I love what I'm doing. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to describe it. I'm realizing. More with Paul Rubens after the break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Lego. In a world filled with distractions, Lego sets for adults are a focused, hands-on, mindful activity to help adult builders reach a zone of zen. Lego offers a creative recharge and a chance to build a little peace. Peace by relaxing peace. Whatever your passions are, there's a Lego set waiting for you. Lego Building offers adults an opportunity to relax and clear their minds through a focused experience. Build something you love and find your flow at lego.com slash adults dash welcome. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, we are replaying my 2014 conversation with Paul Rubens. He's the man behind Pee-wee Herman. Pee-wee is, of course, the star of Pee-wee's Playhouse, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and the hearts of children across this great nation and the world. Later this month, Pee-wee makes his radio debut on KCRW 89.9 here in Los Angeles. He's playing DJ. It's called the Pee-wee Herman Radio Hour. 
I'm helping to produce it for KCRW. You can hear it Friday, November 26th at 6 p.m. Pacific and on KCRW's website for a week afterwards at kcrw.com. Let's get back into our conversation. I want to play a clip from the Pee Wee Herman show. This is from the filmed version that ended up on Home Box Office. Um, Yeah, it was a filmed version of the show that you had done in various theaters in L.A. In this scene... A character named Mailman Mike has given you as Pee-wee a package to bring to Jombie. And Jombie, for those folks who don't remember, um, by way of explanation, is a floating head inside of a box, um, which is important to the scene. And also to know he's a genie. Yeah. Jombie's hands finally got here. Hands? Did somebody say hands? Sure did, Jombie. Well, hand them over. <laughs> oh, gee, I'm a little late for my break. Would you mind delivering these for me? Would I? Would I? <laughs> hey, Jombie, enjoy those hands, buddy. Hey, thanks, Blondie. Bye, Mailman Mike. Hey, look, Jombie, here's your hands. I better open them for, for you because you don't have them yet. Right. <laughs> hey, cool. Caucasian. I sure hope they work for you. The picture in the catalog was so small. Well, check them out, Jombie. Yeah, I will. I've had something I've wanted to do for a long time. <laughs> um, when did you when did you decide that Pee Wee the character would live outside of the world of the performances, and that Paul Rubens the actor would become you know pretty much an, uh, invisible? Kind of right, uh, right around the time I really started to f- focus on on Pee Wee, um, I think was when that happened. Um, I I don't have a really strong recollection to the answer, that, uh, but I'm going to guess that the that that happened around the time I I did not get on Saturday Night Live, uh, and I panicked because I at that point was sort of getting. V- getting written about and, and treated as an up and comer. You know, I was in like little blurbs of, um, you know, a little box and the, in the lower right hand corner of a magazine page or something, you know, an up and comer person or a spotlight on or somebody to keep your eye on. And, uh, and then I was kind of a shoe in according to some people to be on the first season of SNL that was an all new cast and the only season Lauren Michaels was not involved in. Um, it was the season of Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy. And uh, I was flown to New York and we, there were 22 finalists. And I walked into the room. Prior to walking in the room, people were pulling me aside and saying, you should get an apartment. They never tell you till the last minute. And uh, I walked in the room and someone pulled me aside of the room and said, that guy over there is the producer's best friend. And I looked at the guy and it was Gilbert Gottfried. And I thought, there's no way it's going to be me and Gilbert Gottfried. We're the two like nerd guys in this room. It's me or him. And <clears throat> I just, I just had this strong feeling I, I wasn't going to get it. Um, I got on a plane and flew back to Los Angeles. And on the way to Los Angeles, I, I had kind of an epiphany and I just thought I better make something happen for myself or I'm going to go directly from this up and comer catalog, uh, category to, 
you know, hey, remember me, the up and comer guy um, that never happened. So I felt like uh, I needed to take some kind of control and I decided I was going to produce a stage show and what what I called at the time a live pilot because I didn't have any way at all in the universe to get a pilot deal to make a make a television pilot but I I had um, you know a desire to to work on television so I um, landed in LAX and got on a payphone at the curb and called my parents and borrowed $5,000. And probably six or eight days later, I had 15 or 20 people working um, on the beginning of the Pee Wee Herman show. Phil Hartman and I, uh, Phil was one of my closest friends in the Groundlings, and Phil and I met and talked about a, a kid show format and uh, him coming up with a, a salty sea captain character. I had had a... Um, um, a salty sea captain local show in Florida growing up. And uh, I think that may have been the beginning of where that character came from, Captain Carl. And uh, we probably the second night of, of uh, meeting wrote a complete, wrote the scene uh, between Pee Wee and Captain Carl that remained in, in through the, uh, the development of the Pee Wee Herman show. And then, um, we wrote the show. I imagine that part of uh, appearing in public and doing interviews and stuff as Pee Wee was because it made Pee Wee, you know, real and gave a kind of frisson to Pee Wee as a character. Oh, um, you know, you asked me that a minute ago and I didn't really answer that. You're asking me the same thing in a different way, I think, which is I, I, I was very influenced by conceptual and performance art, and I always felt like Pee Wee Herman had some strong elements of that. And what made it even more interesting to me is that no one knew that except me. I I always felt like it was conceptual art, but um, no one knew it because I went out of my way to make people feel like Pee Wee was a real person. Um, so when, you, when you're talking about doing interviews, it was, I don't know where I came up with this or why I did it. It was just something that that just was a gut feeling, I think, um, that Pee Wee Herman just worked way better as a real person, that if you were going, oh, that's an actor, it was very different than going, wow, that, you know, who in the heck is that? Um, I, one of my earliest things I did with Pee Wee Herman is I went on a cattle call audition for the dating game. Bachelor number two, I can't stand it when a guy's too easy. How are you going to make things tough for me? Well, for one thing, I'm going to wear a bodysuit underneath my clothes. (laughs) I think that's probably had something to do with the idea of staying in character all the time. Because to go out and go to an audition and walk in with that suit and bow tie and my hair slicked back and white shoes and uh, talk in that voice. And, you know, they said, sit down over here and please fill out this form. And the form was a, you know, what are your hobbies? That kind of thing. And I I would write down, uh, I enjoy cleaning my room and going to the library and all this, you know, nerdy dorky stuff. And I could just tell that the people thought I was real and were, you know, acting one way to me, but thinking something else inside. And I I knew I was going to get on the show before I got home. What's your 
do you come on to any girl in a bar? Hi, baby. You know, I, I might not be old enough to drink, but you look like you're old enough to drink. Boy, I'm running away right now. That was a very powerful day on a lot of levels because I realized, I realized uh, kind of how, um, how powerful Pee Wee Herman could be. And, and conceptually, I just felt like that sort of cinched me staying in character, I think, because I, I spent a whole day doing it. Many, many years ago, I got a, the dreaded phone call that, that actor, most actors would not want to get, which is, uh, would you like to be on The Surreal Life? Um, and uh, I got, I, I'm going to, in full disclosure, tell you, I got that phone call three years in a row. <laughs> and uh, I always said no immediately because to me it was always kind of an acknowledgement of somewhere you were in your career that I didn't want to acknowledge. Um, but the third year that I got that call, I knew somehow part of the cast had already been announced. And I, I actually said to the producers of the show, if you guys would let me do it as Pee Wee Herman and stay in character the entire time and guarantee that my roommate would be Jose Canseco, who was, <laughs> who was already announced on the show, I, I'll do it. Because I felt like I knew I could really score big like that. I knew I could be really funny. I knew I could stay in character for six or eight weeks, you know, while the cameras were rolling. And I knew if I was rooming with Jose Canseco, there'd be some comedy. And, uh, that was actually, they said no. And so I never did it, but that was the very beginning of me thinking about a reality show with Pee Wee Herman, which I almost did a couple years ago. We'll wrap up with Paul Rubens after a short break. When we return, we'll get into why Pee Wee Herman is kind of a jerk and why that makes the character work. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Airbnb. If you've ever thought about hosting, you might have a few questions. What's it like? Where do I store my stuff? Is hosting worth it? Now, with Ask a Superhost, you can get free one-on-one -on -one help from Airbnb's most experienced hosts. Whether you're curious how to get started or just wondering if it's right for you, you can now ask someone who's already hosting. Learn more at airbnb.com slash askasuperhost. Do you sometimes wonder whatever happened to the kids at your school who really loved Star Trek? You might remember a kid like me, the one who read the Star Trek novels and built Starship models. I also took music classes to avoid taking gym classes that required showering after, but I don't see what that really has to do with- Or a kid like me. I introduced myself to kids at my summer camp one year as Wesley, but when the school year started and some of those kids were in my new class, I actually had to explain to my friends that I had tried to take on the identity of my favorite Star Trek character. The shame haunts me to this day. I'm sure some of those Star Trek fans from your childhood grew up to have interesting and productive lives, but we ended up being podcasters. On The Greatest Discovery, you'll hear what happens to two lifelong Star Trek fans who didn't grow up to be great people, but just grew up to be people who love jokes as much as they love Trek. Season four of Star Trek Discovery is here, so listen to our new episodes every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Paul Rubens. He's the creator of Pee Wee Herman. 
I think one of the special things about Pee-wee as a character, especially for kids or or for people who feel connected to their childhoods, is that Pee-wee, you know, Pee-wee is kind of a self-interested jerk a lot of the times. Um, Click. And he's also a sort of a, you know, an open-hearted, wonder-eyed dreamer of the absolute best kind. And that is kind of an essential quality of childhood that rarely gets recognized in children's entertainment. You know, if you're lucky, you might you know, get I, the wonder. I'm sorry to, I have to interrupt you and just say one thing, because I, I think you just, you just clarified something for me that's never been really clear before, which people always go, what do you think is the attraction of Pee Wee Herman? Why do people like Pee Wee Herman? And I, I always, I always say I have no idea, which is true. And I always go, I don't want to think about that because it's not fun for me. That takes all the fun out of what I do if I got to sort of dissect it very much. And in a, in a kind way, I usually try to say to a journalist, like, that's your job, like not my job. If that becomes my job, then I, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't like picking it apart or trying to figure it out. But I think you just came up with something very interesting that I never really thought about is that I think most people – have the same qualities you just discussed. Most people are dichotomies. Most people are like really nice, good-hearted, and snarky at the same time. I think, um, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, that 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 we all have those capacities. And I, you're absolutely right. I can't argue at all that Pee Wee Herman has like this this you know wonderful heart and is also like totally snarky and selfish, and. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with you that those are that those are kid uh, things that that we can attribute to uh, kids. But I would also certainly argue, and I don't think you'd argue, or anyone listening would. Everyone listening would probably real uh, agree that you know we don't really grow out of that uh, when we when we get older, when we b- become adults, and and even older adults, we still have all that. I mean. Maybe I'm not a good example because I'm Pee Wee Herman also, but I find myself all the time as as myself, as my adult, older self, feeling really righteous and great and sweet. And then, you know, on a dime, I'm, I'm a nightmare and uh, feel snarky and angry and uh, fed up with stuff. So I, I, I think that that's, that may be what... what people like about Pee Wee Herman is that that's sort of, you know, worn on the sleeve. Well, Paul, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I'm, I'm so grateful that you uh, took the time to come on Bullseye. It was really great to get to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate everybody listening to me drone on about myself all this time. Well, I, I appreciate the work that you've done. I certainly wouldn't be the, um, I certainly wouldn't be the person that I am today if if it weren't for your work so i i i thank you for that well i don't know you well enough to know if that's a compliment or not but uh, <laughs> I, i'm gonna take it that way <laughs> yeah i mean like a mixed bag at best let's be honest <laughs> paul rubens the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour will air on KCRW in Los Angeles Friday, November 26th at 6 p.m. Pacific. You can stream it for a week after at KCRW.com. It is going to be a hoot and a half, so please do not miss it. Uh, 
we have worked so hard to make it an amazing hour of radio, and I think you're really going to get a kick out of it. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where this week, as I am recording this, my children are uh, maybe 100 feet away, screaming pretty loud, so sorry if they're (laughs) occasionally interrupting this narration. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones, our senior producer, Kevin Ferguson, producer, Jesus Ambrosio. Production fellows at Max Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and to their label, Memphis Industries, for sharing it. You can keep up with our show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all of our interviews there. And I think that's it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.